This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. And thank you so much for joining us again today. I am so happy that you've joined us on this ongoing and beautiful conversation around how to create a just society right where you are. How do you take the skills that you have and take the location you're at and just create a just world right there and trusting that others are doing the same where they are with what they have to work with. And uh, for the past few weeks, we've been covering the compendium of the social doctrine of the church, something that the Pontifical Council of the U.S. Catholic bishops have put together to really, really um, um, put into concrete terms what the social teaching of the church is. It's it's an amazing document if you can get a hold of it, the compendium of the social doctrine of the church. I encourage you to do so. But it is, uh, we've been covering a lot of ground these past few weeks. Today we'll be in chapter four, covering all of chapter four. But so far what we've been doing is just laying a foundation. We haven't even really been getting into to any concrete uh, injustices or social justice issues because the foundation is so very important to lay. And we've been looking a lot at what makes up a human being, what is humanity, what is society and those different things. So we uh, value your feedback again, SJ common sense at gmail.com. That'll be repeated at the end. I hope you'll email us and give us your feedback, your questions and comments are very greatly appreciated. Now, I'm thinking of the idea of laying the foundation uh, for uh, social justice. I was recently noticing something uh, here in Portland, Oregon, city where I live, that I was downtown recently, and I've noticed a lot of new high-rises going up in, in a growing city like Portland. And one of the things I've noticed is when they build these tall buildings and, and Portland seems to be just building taller more frequently there, when they, they build these high rises, they put these giant crater like holes in the ground and it takes them quite a long time to build the structure up to the street level, let alone all of the stories that are above the ground. But they, they, take their time and really get the the foundation right on these buildings. And these foundations are huge because of course they don't want the building to tip over. And, um, and so it takes them sometimes months and, and just to get the street level. And, and as I mean, maybe I'm stuck in traffic and able to actually look over and watch the workers down in that whole building that there is so much activity they're doing and just building that foundation. Why? Because the foundation's everything. And it's the same thing with 
social justice and building a just society, the foundation and the understanding of the foundation is everything. And so we've taken probably 12, 13 weeks just to build the foundation of this compendium of the social doctrine of the church, because it took them four chapters and four long and intense chapters to do that themselves. Now, we've we've got this foundation and we're finishing it today. And after this, we'll get into the nuts and bolts. We'll start looking at employment justice. We'll start looking at ec- economic and family justice, all those issues. And hope to have a few guests along the way as we talk about those specific issues as well. But today we'll finish up the foundation by talking about three very necessary elements in a just society, in a just world. Uh, these elements are uh, sometimes eludes us, sometimes we don't know they exist or we don't understand what they are. In fact, you know, one of the things, to be honest with you, that that uh, uh, is a bit frustrating to me as I work in circles of social justice is all of the trite language that, you know, people use around social justice and, you know, those little catchphrases. And I I suppose every sector of society has those catchphrases and trite sayings that they use. And it's kind of code language, you know, but you may hear them uh, thrown around, but you don't know what they are. Well, we're going to explain a couple of those today, but in these three elements. So the three elements necessary and the Pontifical Council brings us out, these three elements that are necessary in a just society are subsidiarity, solidarity, and love. Love is the uh, easiest one to pronounce uh, in this list, but we're going to go through and explain them, that you got to have these elements in place if you want to really see things turn out okay. Now, we'll define these. We'll give you examples on these. And the first one, the first element, subsidiarity. That's a big word, and it means this, that, uh, and there's a lot of ways to explain this term, but really what it is is the understanding that even the smallest parts of society are necessary in any given task and that they must be included. Again, subsidiarity uh, is the understanding that even the smallest parts of society or the smallest parts of a given project are necessary and that they must be included. So, for example, uh, a project that a corporation may seek to accomplish, that corporation has to understand that they have to subcontract out to several smaller groups in order to accomplish this task, and that all of the smaller groups involved in the contract are equally important and must be equally taken care of. That's That's the basic idea of subsidiarity. The problem is this rarely happens. Um, Usually what happens is the big entity gets the big cut of the pie and those at the smaller groups below get paid little, yet they're the ones doing the groundwork. And so that creates a real problem and a real imbalance in society and it creates hardships and and numerous injustices as the, the people working in these smaller groups accomplish this project at the ground level. I really are getting a short end of a stick and they really are uh, unable to provide for themselves and their families oftentimes because they're not being uh, given 
the necessary resources to do so. Another example I want to bring about is homelessness. Uh, in the Tri-County area, uh, here in the Portland metro area, a bond measure was passed about a year ago to, or so ago to raise property taxes in the three central counties. There's about seven counties involved in the Portland metro area, but the three central counties, uh, the property taxes were raised in order to fund long-term uh, housing and case management services to the homeless population. Uh, and what's happened, as I've observed this, is that the county workers are being paid large incomes and benefits, and the case managers, for example, and those there doing the actual groundwork and, and the face-to-face -face encounters with the homeless and helping getting them involved, are actually struggling financially to get by and uh, because they're not paid very well and they're having to take the brunt of any negative things that happen. So any negative things that happens along the way, it gets dumped on the, the for example, the case manager, that's just one position, and it, but they're, they're not compensated well. And so there's a very unequal compensation in this whole process. Uh, in a society where subsidiarity exists, they would recognize the absolute value of those on the ground actually encountering the homeless population and say, we are going to equally uh, uh, provide for them so that their needs are met and they're not at the same time struggling while helping others get off the streets. If they're facing homelessness themselves, of what good is that? That's a society where subsidiarity does not exist. Now, in subsidiarity, all parts are treated equally, and all parts are given the ability to fully prosper and fully thrive. Uh, I want to explain that a little bit more. We can of often get confused and think that in subsidiarity that we're demanding equality, <laughs> demanding equal treatment, equal compensation, or whatever it may be. But that's actually not the case. In a society with subsidiarity that's really practiced well, all parts are treated equal, uh, yes, and all citizens are treated equal, But and they're all given the ability to fully prosper and fully thrive, but there's no forcing into that. So we're not forcing the quality of that, what we're doing is we're attempting to, to give the ability for all parts to fully thrive. Uh, so the environment then is built so that all involved have an equal opportunity to benefit. Again, not being forced to benefit or being forced to be involved, but if someone is equally involved, then they can equally benefit. So for example, if there's a group that says, yeah, we'll be involved in the project, but we don't want to, uh, we only want to do this part of it. And then, you know, there may be an agreement in a contract or something that says, okay, since you're only wanting to do that part, then we'll just pay you uh, uh, what's fair for just doing that one part. But so because you're not giving as much as maybe this other group, it would make sense that they get compensated more or whatever. Now, everybody, again, is treated equally just. I mean, we're going to treat all as humans 
and seek to con- compensate adequately. But, you know, everyone's given the opportunity to be equally involved and the opportunity then to be equally taken care of in that. So again, we're not talking about a forcing of that equality, but rather an opportunity for the equality. Uh, too often, what happens in society is that we force or attempt to force equality and then through that, we end up with all these false measures uh, of equality. So, for example, affirmative action is one. I'm, I am not a big fan of affirmative action, which states that minority groups get more of a share uh, of, of something. For example, if you have like food stamps, it would say that minority groups are able to get food stamps their entire life if they wish. And whereas maybe uh, the population, you know, for example, the white population gets it only for a limited time. It's just things like that or giving preference to certain groups for hiring and things of that nature, affirmative action. I'm not a huge fan because it creates a false atmosphere and a false, false equality. Rather, we should create an atmosphere where everyone, every race or every, you know, every individual has the opportunity to benefit in a company or society, but it's purely up to them if they want to take that opportunity. So we're not forcing people to be involved in society, but we also have an understanding in society. If you don't want to be involved, you're not going to reap the benefits as well. But if you do want to be involved, it's all yours, the opportunity for the taking to be involved. And if you take the opportunity and you do the work and you, you, you give the investment of your time and skills, then we are going to equally compensate you and take care of you for that. So that's the idea of subsidiarity. But what happens in society, it's all upside down. So everyone at the top is being hugely compensated, even though they may not actually be doing the work with the population, but the people at the bottom who are actually, for example, actually building the cars and the factories are little compensated. And so we've got that upside down. Subsidiarity would say, look, our workers on the assembly line who are building these cars are the ones that are actually putting the cars together. There would be no car for us to sell if it wasn't for the workers on the assembly line actually building the car. If they're not building it, we've got nothing to sell. So because they're doing that and we see their value, we're going to really make sure they're taken care of and their families are taken care of. That's the basic idea of subsidiarity, a very important uh, uh, aspect of a just society. Uh, Now, again, I want to sum up that true uh, subsidiarity demands that everyone contribute in order to benefit, but it allows everyone to, to contribute. Now, Uh, Let's talk about the next element. That's subsidiarity. You may hear that in social justice circles thrown around. And the next term, the next aspect that is necessary in a just world is solidarity. Solidarity. And what this means, solidarity is the identifying with a particular group who is oppressed and or marginalized. And uh, again, identifying with a particular group who is oppressed and or marginalized. Uh, A really good example of this is Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa 
identified in a very concrete way with the lepers in Calcutta, India. She didn't just come and go with the lepers there in, in India. She was there with them day and night. Uh, now, a word of caution with this is that solidarity is not feeling bad for the oppressed. If you drive past a homeless person who's pushing a cart down the sidewalk, and in the moment you have a feeling of feeling bad for that person, that's not solidarity. Solidarity is where you are getting involved and not just getting involved, you are identifying with that population. So for example, let's say you uh, uh, feel a, a desire to help those who are caught in human trafficking. If you are practicing true solidarity, what you are going to do is you're going to get involved in the lives of the people who are caught in human trafficking. You're going to defend them. You're going to work with authorities. You're going to work with uh, various agencies, whatever, to try to solve the problem. And then you may even begin speaking to groups and saying, here's what we can do to change the situation. In other words, you're getting in deep with that particular group. That's the idea of solidarity. So, I, you know, one of the things I've seen recently around Portland, and I'm sure it's around other cities, is we've got this ongoing war uh, between Russia and Ukraine. And I see people in their front yards that, you know, have a sign that says, we stand with Ukraine. No, you don't. You've got a cardboard sign in your yard, but you just go about your daily life, right? <laughs> I'm sure there's some people that have done something to actually try to make a difference in this war, but that is not solidarity. Having a sign in your yard that says, I stand with Ukraine, that means nothing. That does nothing. It makes no effect whatsoever. Now, I doubt that anybody ever walks past your yard and sees a sign and says, oh, wow, I'm going to go try to stop this war. I doubt it. The fact is, that's not solidarity. Solidarity would demand that you move to Ukraine and live out your life among the poor there who are losing their homes. I was talking to a, a man this week who has been in Portland for two weeks. And a lot of Ukra he's a Ukrainian refuge. A lot of Ukrainian refugees refugees are uh, landing in the Portland metro area. I've run into quite a few of them who are struggling to get jobs and find housing and learn how to speak English. They just kind of landed here, you know. And this this gentleman speaks good English, so he's able to have a good long conversation with them. And he's been here for two weeks, <clears throat> looking for a job. Very highly skilled. But one of the things he told me, he said that he worked among the homeless population in Kiev, and he said there's just, there's no programs to help the homeless there. I mean, there's no government housing programs. There's no money to do anything to feed them. It has to just come from churches or the individuals. There's no agencies there to help them. And so what he would do, he took it upon himself to use his own funds to help whoever he could help on the streets of Kiev. That's solidarity. 
<laughs> okay? Solidarity demands that you go there and get personally involved. And by the way, I want to clarify something here too. Solidarity is not doing something for the oppressed. Okay, solidarity is not doing something for the oppressed. If you see somebody that's hungry and you give them food and then you walk on, that is not solidarity. Solidarity is living among them and loving them up close and getting messy with them. That's solidarity. It's an identifying with them. Therefore, protests are not a form of solidarity. Giving food to the hungry, as I just mentioned, is not a form of solidarity. Solidarity demands that you are with those that you feel compassion for and that you're journeying on a journey with them and that you defend them at the cost of your reputation and your life. Uh, and it, uh, One example I was thinking of with this that I love is there's groups of people who, especially among Protestant and Catholic Christian circles, who are doing what's called moving to the abandoned places of the empire. So this is a term you may or may not have heard before, but the abandoned places of the empire is areas, for example, in the United States, where people are left abandoned from benefiting from society, and they're just stuck there. So, for example, nursing homes. Nursing homes is a place where people go to die and spend the rest of their life lonely and untouched. Many nursing homes are abandoned places of the empire. The poor neighborhoods, the neighborhoods that looks like a war happened and it's bombed out, graffiti everywhere, houses falling apart, all the jobs have left that neighborhood. Those are abandoned places of the empire. And there's many abandoned places of the empire. But there are people like, for example, Catholic worker houses. I know different Protestant Christian groups, uh, especially intentional communities within Protestant circles who are moving intentionally into those areas and those spaces and living out their lives among those people that are there in those abandoned places of the empire. That's solidarity. That's what it looks like. It's not fun. And it's not clean and neat, but it is a demand of the creator. It's the demand of love. It's the demand of justice that we do that. So, so far, we've got subsidiarity where we're giving equal treatment and equal opportunity and equal compensation to even the small groups involved in for example, a certain project. Solidarity is where we're identifying with the oppressed. We're identifying with them by living out our life among them. And then the third necessary ingredient, ingredient in a just society is love. Subsidiarity, solidarity, and love. This is not necessarily the final ingredient. I would say it is the ingredient from which everything else grows. What, so what is love? Love is to will the good of the other. You know, I, I was talking to somebody this week who wants to be involved in work among the homeless. I was asking them, why do you want to do this? They said, oh man, you know, this feeling that comes from helping people. 
And I told them, I said, most of the time, I don't get a good feeling from helping the homeless. Most of the time, I'm exhausted. I feel beat up. I feel hopeless because of how big the problem is and how very little resources there are to help with it. When I see people suffering, mothers escaping domestic violence with their little children on the streets, I'm sorry, I don't get a good feeling from that. I feel heartbroken most of the time. And that's what life is like to to work towards a just society and to really live in love towards the oppressed is to live with a constant broken heart. Kind of like Jesus did. The Bible describes Jesus as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Why? Because Jesus was broken hearted over the condition of humanity. And to serve the homeless, to serve those caught in sex trafficking, to serve people who are experiencing injustice at their jobs, to serve whatever group of oppressed people you may want to serve is if you're going to do it from the standpoint of love and solidarity, it's to live with a broken heart. And it's to, to will to do so to say, I'm willing to not get a good feeling from this. I'm willing to weep. I'm willing to go home at the end of the day, get in my room and cry. I'm willing to do that every day because I am willing they're good. I'm doing this for them, not for me. I'm not expecting anything from this. It's the call of love. I guarantee you on the cross, Jesus did not get a good feeling. The scripture does say he did it for the joy that was set before him, but joy and a good feeling are two different things. I'm sure Jesus felt suffering. He felt brokenness. He felt abandoned on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do when he was hanging from the cross. He wasn't doing that from some feeling of excitement. He was doing it out of raw obedience. And that's what social, real social justice demands raw obedience from us. It demands that during those times, we, we just, we can't go anymore. We keep going because we know the call that's been given us. So we're doing what we do out of intense love for those people who are suffering because they're our brothers and sisters. You know, in the Zen, the Zen masters teach us from their understanding that there is the one light that shines and that light shines in all things. Uh, St. John in his gospel in the Bible says that the light came into the world, the light that shines in all men. We have to understand that they may not look like I do. They may be broken and suffering, but that light that shines in me is the same light that shines in them. I am not separate from them. And therefore, out of an intense and furious love for them, I am going to lay down my life. In 1 Corinthians 13, St. Paul, uh, and read it if you get get, get a hold of the Bible and read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What a brilliant essay that St. Paul gives on love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not boast about itself. Love is not self-centered. Love endures. Love never quits. <laughs> and on and on. St. Paul just goes through this 
this great essay on love, discussion on it, and that's how we're to live it out. If we're really going to create a just society right where we are, it has to be done from that kind of love. Love demands sacrifice. It is not a feeling. I'm so tired of people saying, oh, I, I go work at the soup kitchen, feed the homeless. It gives me such a good feeling. If it's giving you a good feeling, then stop. Please stop <laughs> and go do something that doesn't give you such a great feeling. Something that leaves you broken yourself at the end of the day because you sacrificed. Love is sacrifice. Now, I'm not saying there won't be times where you feel good and you're like, oh, this is awesome. I'm seeing some results from the work. Those are awesome moments. I've had many moments where I finally, after so much effort, saw results from my work. And then that is such a satisfying feeling, but that's not why we do it. Because love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And love puts you at the risk of losing your reputation in your life. I've been put down so often because I hang out on the streets with homeless individuals. People have called me a drug addict, assuming I do drugs because I'm hanging around with people. They, you know, all kinds of vicious, just things people throw at me and labels. You know what? You will risk. If you really work for a just society, you will risk losing your reputation and quite possibly your life, because many uh, saints who were huge on creating a just society lost their life in the process. But I think of some amazing examples of how do you live out love in your pursuit of justice. Some great examples, again, Mother Teresa getting up close and personal with lepers, with the outcast, just pouring herself completely empty for these people. St. Paul you see him being imprisoned. You see him being beaten, tortured, cast aside, homeless, hungry, and shipwreck on the sea and so on. And he just kept going. Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi in India, for his love for the Indian people, just completely lost his reputation and lost his life in the process. Why did he do that? Is he crazy? No, he was a man who loved the Indian people enough to lose it all for so that they could experience justice. You see, Gandhi didn't actually end up getting to experience any of the justice that India eventually realized. He had to die and allow others to enjoy the fruit of his labor. Martin Luther King Jr. died assassinated, shot to death by an assassin in his pursuit of creating a just society. Why? Because he loved all people. And by the way, if you listen to all the speeches of, of Martin Luther King Jr., not just the famous ones, but all his speeches, you will find out very quickly that he had just as much of love for white people as he did for black people. He wanted white people to be blessed too because he saw that the white people who were causing all the problems for black people, he felt that they too were oppressed by the system that was bigger than they were. Finally, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ completely empties himself out. 
Now, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm, and if you're living quite comfortably and you're not having problems and you're not pouring your life out for broken people, I'm sorry, you can't really call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ because the disciple imitates the master. Can I say that again? The disciple imitates the master. There are others throughout history who have just completely lived total abandonment to love for others. As humans, we are lazy, aren't we? I admit it. Sometimes I have those moments where I don't do something I should just out of pure laziness. We get tired and we don't push ourselves. Now, I'm not trying to be so blunt, but we just are. We try to do the bare minimum and call it good. However, if we are to solve the problems of our world and get to that world we all dream of, we have to shake off the laziness and get busy, get dirty, and risk everything to make it happen. We often are too busy thinking of ourselves to do what it takes for those who are truly suffering. May God give us grace to live out subsidiarity, solidarity, and love as we create a just society right where we are. You've been listening to Common Sense on Social Justice with your host, Michael Davis. A common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.